Let's begin this morning by reading our text together. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 6. Let's read this together. Description of Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so, brothers and sisters, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into this passage of Scripture. And we want God to help us to get behind some of these surface level facts of the incarnation of the story of the birth of Jesus. And we want to see these unseen realities that we will not see apart from the word of God and apart from the work of the spirit in our life. And the very first thing that we're going to do to see the unseen things, okay, because this is what they were blind to the vast majority that night in Bethlehem, is we want to focus in on the identity of the baby in the manger, the identity of the baby in the manger. I submit to you today, and you can test this for yourself, that the most important piece of knowledge in the entire universe is knowledge regarding the identity of Jesus Christ. I really do think that there's nothing more important that can fall together in a human mind than a truthful answer to this question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is he? What is his identity? What does the word of God say? Very first verse this morning, we get two descriptions regarding the identity of this baby. And so this is... A description of the Apostle Paul. And listen closely. This is prior to Jesus' birth. Okay. Who is he? We get these two phrases in verse 6. Paul tells us that Jesus was in the form of God. And then the very next thing he says is that he was having equality with God. That's who Jesus is. He's in the form of God. And he's equal with God. Listen, because he's God. So think about this contrast. We're, auto, we're automatically talking about something supernatural. And Christmas is that. Christmas is supernatural. It is an assault on rationalism. It's an assault on human logic. This is a story about the creator coming into his creation and bearing his holy arm. So think about this. Where were you before you were born? And we all say the same thing. I was nowhere. I didn't exist before I was born, but not Jesus. Where was Jesus before he was born? Jesus was God, equality with God. He was God, the eternal son. Before he was born, he was God. This is the same way that the apostle John starts out his gospel. And you remember this, right? 
The very first words to John's gospel, John 1, verse 1, says, In the beginning was the Word, okay? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is a Christian claim, okay? That before Jesus was born, he was God. Now, it's necessary that we start there, okay? And the reasons why ought to be apparent to us. And one of the reasons why it's important to start there is because this is the dividing line. Okay? The world that we live in has very little problem with a cutesy baby Jesus story. Okay? You can preach that all day. Cute baby Jesus. Cute little nativity scene. Okay? But when we start injecting Christian theology into that story that that little baby is God incarnate. Before that little baby was born, he was God. And then all of a sudden, the world doesn't have a place for that message anymore. It's important that we start here with the identity of Christ. This is what makes Christmas Christian. That the baby before he was born was God. So I want us to think about this more, that this morning and press into that reality because that's one of the things that we can be more indifferent to than we ought to be of this amazing incarnation of Jesus Christ. So I want you to think about this with me. According to the word of God, before he was the baby in the manger, he was God, the eternal son. Listen close. The possessor of. Of everlasting glory. Of infinite glory. And I want you to think about a phrase that Jesus told us about himself. In John 17, Jesus is praying to his father. In John 17 verse 5, he asked God to do something very interesting. He asked God to, to restore him to the glory that he had with the father. And then he says, before the world existed. Before the world existed. So think about that. Where were you before you were born? Maybe if you, you, know, you really want to get smart about that, you say, I was in my mommy's tummy. No, before that. Where were you before that? Okay, before you were conceived in your mother's womb, where were you? And you were nowhere because you didn't exist. But where does Jesus claim that he was? Before Jesus was born, before Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary, he was in glory with the Father before the world existed. Now that is an astonishing claim of origin for a little bitty baby crying for his mama in Bethlehem. This is astonishing. Supernatural claim. And to go along with that, I want us to think about this. That the Bible tells us that before Jesus was born, he was the recipient of unceasing angelic worship. Worship that never ended. Worship that, would, that, 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 that was full of glory, full of praise to God the Son. And Isaiah, as we read uh, some of the Old Testament, we get glimpses of uh, this, this heavenly gathering. And Isaiah tells us that he saw Jesus. And this happens in Isaiah chapter 6. He says that there was this, this time in his life where he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And this is Jesus on his throne. And I wanted to read a description 
of this worship service. And this is where the baby was prior to Bethlehem. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 2. Listen closely. Above him stood seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. It's an amazing claim about the origin and the identity of this baby. You know, you think about that. Things were pretty quiet for you before you were born, not for Jesus. Before Jesus was born, he was worshiped by angelic beings, listen, with voices so loud that it sounded like an earthquake in the presence of Christ. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And that's an amazing contrast from that place to this lowly manger in Bethlehem. Not only that, the Bible tells us that before Jesus was born, he was the sovereign creator of all things. So let's not get this twisted, okay? Let's, let's not soften this Christian claim. This is who we claim that baby to be. Anything less than this is not Christian, okay? You don't have Christ, you don't have Christianity. And the Bible tells us that before he was born, he was the sovereign creator. Listen to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. It says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. It's an amazing claim. It's an amazing claim that we would dare to look to this baby in Bethlehem and we would say, he made all things. Those words coming out of his mouth and those sounds, that's the same person that breathed it out in Genesis chapter one. He's the maker, the creator. And there's nothing outside of that claim. He made all things. He made all things. And so this exalted view of who this baby is, of the true identity of Christ, okay, makes this next move in Philippians 2, it makes it devastating. Okay? This is the appropriate background to the Christmas story and the incarnation. That God came from infinite heights and he stooped down to the place of ultimate condescension, of ultimate humiliation. And we got to keep that gap massive because that's an infinite gap. We're talking about the gap between the creator and the creation. And so I want you to see this next move in Philippians 2. The one who was equal with God in verse 6 emptied himself. In verse 7, the one who was equal with God in verse 6 emptied himself in verse 7. 
And we have to see it like this. This is not just a cute story, okay? The Bethlehem story, it's a humiliation. It's a condescension. It is a story of God stooping down. God made low. And when we see it like that, when we see it in that appropriate contrast, it's a devastating thing for a human being. And when we see it rightly, it ought to cause our knees to buckle and our faces to hit the ground in worship and adoration to our God. And we'll come back to that as we close, the right response to the incarnation. The reference to Jesus emptying himself in verse 7, that has been misunderstood at many different times in church history. And so what does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus emptied himself? Okay. Well, here's what it doesn't mean. And you need to know this. It does not mean that Jesus emptied himself of his deity. Okay. That's a highway to heresy. Okay. It does not mean that Jesus emptied himself of his deity. So Christianity is not this. Okay. It's not that Jesus was God became man and then became God again. That is not Christianity. That is false Christianity. That is a false Christ. Christianity is that Jesus was God, became the God man and remains the God man forever, forever. And so the Christian claim is this baby in the manger in Bethlehem. He's fully God and he's fully man. Both natures in perfect union. Christian theology calls that the hypostatic union of Christ. One Christ, one person, two natures, divine and human. He is the God-man. He is the only one that bridged that gap between God and his creation. And nevertheless, he really did empty himself. Of what? There was a real emptying in the incarnation. And we're going to press into this this morning. That Jesus. The eternal son of God. He emptied himself. Of his reputation. Okay? Of his majestic dignity. As the king of glory. He emptied himself. He laid it aside. He laid aside his glorious reputation. So I want you to see that contrast. He was the one. That angels gathered around him and sang his praise so loud that it sounded like an earthquake. And yet he lays this aside. He lays aside his majesty, his reputation, and he veils his glory in the incarnation. He emptied himself. So much so, listen to this. So much so did Jesus empty himself and veil his glory that if we were there that night, this is the mystery of the incarnation, the stumbling block of the incarnation. He veiled his glory so much so that if you were in Bethlehem the night that he was born and you looked into the face of this little baby, he wasn't radiating beams of light. He was a real human being. He was fully man. There was nothing externally that would have tipped you off. He is the king of glory incarnate. So you could have been staring at the face of this child that night. You could have been hearing him cry out for his mother. And you could have been completely blind to the reality that Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, At the same time that he's crying out 
for his mother's milk. He is upholding the universe by the word of his power. He's veiling it. He's laying aside that kingly reputation. Laying it aside. This is a humiliation to Jesus Christ. And we need to honor him for this stooping down, this condescension, this humiliation. So I want you to think about this with me. Okay, We're going to spend some time here this morning. And I want us to meditate on, on, on just how low he stoops. Just how low Jesus stoops to save us. So I want you to think about just a few questions. When God decided to take on the nature of a creature, which is what happened at the incarnation. When he decided to do that, okay, could he have came to us in the form of a different creature? Think of a creature more exalted than us, okay? Think about these angelic beings that we see glimpses of in the word of God. Far above us in power, far above us in wisdom, far above us in glory. Could God not have come to us as an angelic being when he took on the nature of one of his creatures? And think about that. Would that not have been more fitting in some way? Okay, That he comes as the highest of his creatures. But we're told in the word of God that he comes and he makes himself lower than the angels. He stoops down and he condescends and he makes himself lower than the angels. Look at verse 7. He came to us in the likeness of man. In the likeness of man. Humiliating for God. Humiliating for God the Son. It would have been humiliating for him to come to us in the likeness of an exalted angel. How much more so when he comes in the likeness of one lower than the angels? Humiliation to God the creator. And think about this. Once he decides to come to us in the likeness of a man. Could he have not come to us in the likeness of a full grown man? And would that not have been more fitting? Okay? Would that not have been more less humiliating for God if he parachutes down from heaven as a full-grown man in the height of his strength, in the prime of his life, dependent on no other human being for survival? Would that not have been less humiliating? For God to incarnate, incarnate himself like that. To come to us as a full grown man. But when he determines to come to us in the likeness of man, what does he do? He comes to us in the form of an infant male child. Listen to this. Completely dependent on other human beings for his survival. And think about that. Is that not a humiliation for God? We're told in the word of God that God needs nothing. He has life in himself. Acts 17. This God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. And then all of a sudden he's a baby, an infant baby in the manger. And he's dependent on his mother and father for survival absolute humiliation for God the Son. Absolute humiliation. And then think about this. 
Okay, he plans to come to us as a man. Okay, he plans to come to us as an infant child. And he could have came to us as the wealthiest of royal kings. Think about that. He could have been born with a coronation ceremony that would put every celebration on planet Earth to shame. The entire planet could have rolled out the red carpet at his birth and said, Hail him, Lord of all. The Lord of the universe is walking among his creation. But look at verse 7. It tells us that this God has determined to come to us. Verse 7, in the form of a servant. Let that hit you like a knife this morning. Would it not have been less humiliating to him if he came in the form of a king, but he is determined to come to us in the form of a servant? Literally, that word is a slave, the lowest of men. Humiliation for God the Son. Think about how low we're talking about eternal deity stooping down to save us, coming to serve us like a slave. No red carpet treatment at his birth. Listen to Luke chapter 2, verse 7. This is, this is the treatment that he received. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Because there was no room for him in the end. Is that not amazing? Humiliation. Voluntary humiliation. He is choosing to do this. The one who owns the cattle of a thousand hills. Every single animal on planet earth is sleeping where cattle sleep. Voluntary condescension of the eternal son of God. He's stooping down low. He's condescending down. The one who inhabits eternity has come to us in the form of a lowly slave. Let's not move past this, okay? Can you even begin to fathom the glory of this incarnation, the glory of the humiliation of Jesus Christ? Mind-blowing, amazing grace from God. Man's maker made man. The infinite God becomes an infant child. Mind-blowing grace from God. Mind-blowing condescension. Mind-blowing service from Jesus Christ. The king of the universe has become a kid in a cradle. Think about that. This is the Christian claim. This is who Jesus is, the majestic one in a manger. My favorite description, deity in diapers, deity in diapers. Martin Luther says this to Christ. He says, you take a manger for a throne while worlds upon worlds are thine alone. Amazing, amazing condescension, amazing grace. From Jesus Christ. Voluntarily stooping down. Made low. Nobody has ever loved you like this. Nobody has ever loved you like this. This is amazing grace from God. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says this. Great indeed we confess. 
is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. And we have a great mystery to proclaim and to praise God for. That God was manifested in the flesh. Now, the liberal church says that the incarnation of Jesus Christ is an embarrassing artifact of primitive Christianity. They say things like, that's what we used to believe before we got real smart. Before we got smarter than God. Before we discovered the scientific method. And we don't believe anything that we can't observe. And they gut the Bible of supernatural things. And they gut Jesus of his deity. And so they mock this as what an embarrassing claim to the modern world. That God became a man. What an embarrassing claim. Surely we know better than that. And we look at the same information that they call an artifact in the word of God. And we look at it and we praise God for his glorious grace. This is the gospel. That our God came down to save us. He invaded his creation to save us. If you don't have the incarnation, you don't have the gospel. No gospel. No gospel, no salvation from sin. Glorious grace from God. God made love. God condescending down. I want you to consider that this morning. Jesus did that for you. He did that for you. Let's think about one more thing before we're done. Would it be possible for the highest of kings to stoop any lower than the manger? Would it be possible? He's come to us as a form, in the form of a slave. Would it be possible for him to get any lower than that? And the very next move in Philippians tells us that yes, it is possible. We still haven't hit the bottom of his condescension. Look at verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The cross of Christ, the lowest of the low, the lowest place that the king of glory has stooped to serve us, condescended down to serve us. And so listen closely. Whatever you know about Christmas, I want you to know this more than anything else. Whatever you know about Christmas, I want you to know this more than anything else. The purpose of the manger is revealed at the cross. I'll say that again. The purpose of the manger is revealed at the cross. And so when you hear that story of God incarnate, there ought to be something in the back of your mind. Why? Yeah, I understand the claim, but why is he doing this? The cross explains that. That Jesus was incarnated. He took on Real humanity, a real human body to die for our sins in our place. He was born to die. He came out of eternity and he stooped down to the lowest places to serve us. And he died for the sins of his people. Mind-blowing condescension. Mind-blowing condescension. Remember where he was. In glory with the Father, with that never-ending angelic worship service. And all of a sudden, he's hanging on a cross, slaughtered, 
for the sins of his people. Now I want you to think about this and I want us to remember Jesus didn't have to die. Every human being besides him has to die. Not Jesus. He is not under the curse of Adam and he's never sinned. And so if God were to pay Jesus the wages of his sin, he wouldn't have any wages because he has no sin. He does not have to die. This is voluntary. This is his choice. He is taking our place in his death. He doesn't have to die because he has no sin. But then on the other side of that, he doesn't have to die because of who he is. Think about some of these descriptions of Christ. In John chapter 5, verse 26, we are told that the Son has life in himself. The Son has life in himself. You have life from God. God grants it to you moment by moment do you have life. And when God speaks his word and removes that from any of us, we die. We don't have life in ourselves. But the son has life in himself. And in John chapter 10, he tells us that he has the power and the authority to lay down his life. Now, do you? Do you have the power and the authority to decide when you die, how you die, to lay down your life? You don't. Jesus did. He did not have to die. But he does. He, he condescends all the way down to this bloody cross. And look at the, the manner in which Jesus died. Humiliated. Humiliated. What would have been more fitting, right? For the king of glory incarnate. To die like an old man peacefully in his sleep. Jesus didn't die like that. Jesus didn't die like a hero on a battlefield. Jesus didn't die like that. He died in humiliation. God made love. And verse 8 is very vivid. It reminds us that Jesus, the incarnate son, was butchered, slaughtered, crushed on a bloody cross. Obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so I want us to get a glimpse of this. This glorious Christ and how much he has loved us. Who is he? On his cross, he's the same one in the manger. The one with all authority in heaven and on earth was spat upon, beaten, and mocked. Think about that. The one with all authority was spat upon, beaten, and mocked. Jesus made the spit in the man's mouth that launched it onto his face and on his body. He made the saliva that they spit on him. That's the Christian claim. The same Christ that made every one of those Roman soldiers allowed himself to be crucified by those same soldiers. His own creatures. His own creatures. Think about this. This glorious grace from God. Spit upon, beaten, and mocked. And then the Gospels tell us that he was stripped, half-naked, and nailed to the cross. Think about the one who we're talking about. He made the tree that they hammered him to. He made it. 
He made all things. Think about this. This is who Jesus is. God incarnate. God in the flesh. He is upholding the life while they are hammering the spikes through his hands and through his feet. He's giving them a, a pulse. He's putting, he's putting breath in their lungs while they are killing him. He's not a helpless victim. He's volunteering. He's condescending down. Glorious grace. So this is the picture, right? Infinite heights and infinite glory. Down to this place of infinite humiliation for God. Think about Jesus. What he's done to save us and coming into this world. He was the object of the Father's love from all eternity. And on the cross, he became the object of the Father's wrath for your sins. That's an amazing exchange. That the one who was always and forever and fully loved by God took your place. He took your place. He took what you were owed. What a contrast from this condescension. And I keep coming back to this. The most amazing thing of all, we talk about him coming down, condescending down, humiliating himself. The most amazing thing of all is that he didn't have to. He didn't have to die. He didn't have to come into this world. He volunteered. He went willingly. And then ask yourself this question, for who? And the word of God says, for you. He did this for you. The highest of kings and the lowest of places. And he did this for you. And I'll say this again. You have never been loved like this. You have never been served like this. Glorious grace from God. He did this for you. And it's certainly not because you deserved it. The wages of your sin was death. You deserved what he took in your place. Jonathan Edwards has a beautiful quote to remind us of our, our state, our deservedness. And he, and he says this. He says, we contribute nothing to our salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Now, isn't that not an amazing thing to think about how far he's come and then to turn the corner for people like us? The unworthy ones, the rebellious ones, the sinful ones, the ones who deserve death, hell, and wrath. And the highest of kings takes our place on his bloody cross. And I leave you with this question. Who are we? Who are we to be loved like that? Who are we to be served like that? The most unworthy of subjects that the high king of heaven would die in our place. So think about this. We put this together. The only right response when we see Jesus coming from infinite glory down to this lowest of places on, on the cross. And then to remember that this is for unworthy ones. The only right response is knees buckled and worshiping God. That God has loved us. God has given us glorious grace. The only right response. We see these things rightly.
And I want you to think about this. Is it any surprise to anybody in the room that when we see these things rightly from the heights where Jesus was to the depths that Jesus descended for unworthy ones? Is it any surprise to anybody in the room that God pronounces a curse on every human being that does not respond rightly to Jesus Christ? Certainly that makes sense to you. That when the highest of kings descends down for the lowest of subjects, if we spurn this gift and say, yeah, who cares? Certainly it makes sense to you that God would vindicate his son. And that he would judge you for the sin of rejecting this glorious and this gracious gift. That's exactly what the Bible tells us. That he will hold us accountable for how we've responded to this condescension. And I want to leave you with one verse to meditate on today. I'm going to call this, for our purposes today, I'm going to call this the Christmas curse. And with everything that we've seen and how high and lofty Jesus uh, was and how low he stooped to save unworthy ones, it ought to make perfect sense that we read these words in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22. It says this, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. If anyone has no love for that Christ that we just talked about, that Christ that we just saw, that Christ who came out of glory, invaded human history, took on a human body, and died for your sins. If anyone has no love for, for that Christ, for the Lord, let him be accursed. Accursed. This is the Christmas curse, God's vindication of His Son. Let's pray together and let's thank God for this glorious gift. Father, we come to you today and we want to thank you, Lord, for the gift of Christ Jesus. And every single one of us, God, we're thinking rightly today. We want to confess our unworthiness to be loved by you. And even further than that, Lord, we don't even deserve to know about these things. Lord, we, we don't even deserve to have this beautiful gospel revealed to us, this beautiful knowledge of your son. And so we worship you today as our redeemer, the only savior of sinners. And we ask you, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would drive all that sinful indifference out of our hearts and help us to worship your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.